good morning, everybody. Um, as Kimberly says, I'm Emma. I'm part of the church family here at Freedom. And I'm preaching this morning and we're continuing. We've been preaching at Freedom through the book of Acts. Um, and we've now made it to the middle section of Acts 18. But as Andy did last week, I'm just going to recap a little bit about, about where we're up to. So um, we've been going through the book of Acts. And I'm just going to, I'm also going to share screen at various points. We've been going through the book of Acts at this point. Um, and let me just share screen. Okay, so I'm not able to share screen, but never mind, I will carry on. So um, at this point um, in the book of Acts, we've, we've, as we've gone through it, we've, we've looked at various things that have happened so far. So it started with the end of Jesus's earthly ministry and his ascension into heaven. And we saw the believers waiting and praying for something to happen, but they weren't quite sure what. And then uh, the Lord poured out the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We've seen the preaching of Peter and um, the, the, the preaching and martyrdom, uh, uh, um, martyrdom of Stephen and the preaching of Philip. We've seen the conversion of Paul on the road to Damascus and the belief, disciples and believers going around performing many miracles and healings. And then we've seen Paul undertaking his missionary journeys. Um, and we're now at the end of, um, the, of Paul's second journey, which takes us to the passage today. So I'll now read that. I'll just see if I can share screen. Yes, I can now share screen. Excellent. So let me just see. So if we can, if I can share this, you can see here the Book of Acts overview that I've got. Um, so you can see here, just at the way we're now here um, at the end, in the end of Paul's second um, missionary journey, just in chapter 18. So I'm now just going to flip back to my scriptures. So here is the, the, the passage for today. So it says, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and sisters and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sancreai, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And then he set sail from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. And then he went down to Antioch. And after spending some time there, he departed and he went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia strengthening all the disciples. So that is the passage that I have for today. Um, and it's an interesting passage of scripture. It's my usual practice when I prepare for preachers to look at what other um, theologians and preachers that I trust, what they preached on the passage. And it gave me a slight sinking feeling that when I did that, um, very few of them actually preach on this portion. Quite a lot of them skip over it. I'm, I'm guessing because it's actually quite a small portion of scripture. It's quite packed and it's a lot about what where Paul goes and it's a bit of a list of where he's been. But 
I've been able to sort of pick it apart and look at it. And I think I've, I think I know where, what God would have us think about and focus in on, on this passage. And as I've seen what people have brought this morning in looking at God's timing and being in God's will, um, you know, just as we were, I just went into the kitchen and prayed during the, the worship and God's actually changed a bit of the middle section. So I've never done this before, but I'm actually going to um, go a little bit off script and, and change what I was going to say. So here we go. But um, this little portion of scripture is a bit of a breathless journey. So Paul makes a journey from, from Corinth. So here we are in Corinth. Um, to the port city of Sencrii, which is to the east. So Corinth is in this little bit outcrop here that sticks out, and there are, there are lots of port cities around it, and Sencrii is one of them. Um, and, then he, and then he then crosses the Aegean Sea um, on his way to Ephesus, and he takes with him Priscilla and Aquila, which we'll talk about as we go on. And then by sea along the Mediterranean, he wakes, makes his way all the way across to Caesarea. Okay. He may have gone up, as it says, to the church, which may mean Jerusalem, which again I'll expand on in a minute. But then we definitely know that he went, goes down, as he says, sort of probably altitude-wise, to Antioch in Syria. And then having spent some time in Syria, he makes his way back by land going to the places that we looked at on the first missionary journey. So places like Iconium, Derbe and Lystra, and then a man of a, a land road back to Ephesus. And that's about 1,200, 1,300 miles. And Luke goes through that in just a few verses. Luke is very matter of fact in this, this portion about this extraordinary journey and then and he tells us very, very little, but he's very, very particular to tell us that in the port city of Corinth in Sencrii, um, Paul stops at the barbers and has his hair cut. He might not have stopped at the barbers, but he cuts his hair anyway. And he doesn't really tell us much more about that, apart from that it had something to do with a vow. And I don't know about you, but I've got a thousand questions about what this is about. So, but... Luke hasn't really given as many answers. And it's really important to think that, you know, what is in Scripture is the word of God. So whatever God has put into Scripture, he's put it there for a reason. And if he's left things out, he's left it for, out for a reason. Um, but I found it a, li it's a little bit curious as to, as to what is going on. So I'm going to try and I've, I've done a bit of reading around at what different commentators think is going on here. And I think it has a bit of relevance for what we're going through. Um, as a church at the moment. So at the beginning of this passage, we pick up Paul in Corinth. As Andy was preaching on last week, he spent quite a long time in Corinth. He spent much, much time there, um, probably up to 18 months. And when, if you remember last week, Andy mentioned this guy. So this is Gallio. So Gallio was the proconsul in Corinth and this um, region of Greece called Achaia. And he had, if you think back to what Andy said last week, he had given a political legal verdict in favour of Paul. So a lot of the Jews went to complain to Gallio, because Gallio is basically the boss of the region, saying this guy Paul is preaching about Jesus and he's saying things that are against the Jewish laws and against our faith and we want you to sort him out. 
And Gallio thinks about that and chooses not to. He said, well, no, this is the Jewish law. It's got nothing to do with me. I will have no part in this. I'm not going to be in part of that. So it's a very important thing that he does. And for at least a short period of time during the rest of the emperor Claudius, so Claudius was the Roman emperor, and Gallio is almost like his representative in that region of Greece, the gospel is given a sort of grace period, a period of peace for a few years, which probably allowed the gospel to spread a bit further and allowed the churches in that region to stabilise and grow. And it's not going to last that long, but Gallio's decision in that brief period of church history has immense consequences for the furthering of the gospel so that Paul can now travel through that region. So what happened there is quite significant. God was in control of that. It seems to be quite an odd thing to do that Gallio does, but that's what he, what he does. And then on my next slide, you can see that we know that Gallio was a real person. This is a fragment of an inscription on, um, in, a, in a temple that was found um, about another Roman um, um, important citizen. And basically in, in giving the, um, in the inscription, it's not really clear what this inscription is about, but at the bottom of it, a bit like you know an Oscar speech, I think he was being given an award for something, and a bit like an Oscar speech, there's a long list of people that he gives thanks to. And Gallio, the proconsul of Achaia, is one of the things that is that is given there. And that the box around that is his name. So he really did exist, and he had an important role to play in this furthering of the gospel. Yeah. So Paul is in this in Corinth for about 18 months. I mean, it says at the beginning of verse 18, but he's there a, a while longer. So it's maybe up to two years. And then he decides to go back to Antioch, his home church in Syria. And he catches a boat in Sancrii, one of the port cities of Corinth. And then he travels across the Aegean Sea to Ephesus. And we'll talk a lot in later sermons about what happens at Ephesus. And he takes his friends that he met in Corinth, Priscilla and Aquila, who were also leather makers like him, and then he leaves them in the church in Ephesus. And then Paul makes a point of telling us that, um, um, Luke rather, has a, a point of telling us that Paul has shaves his head because of this vow. And that's a curious thing. And we ought to be curious about what's in the Bible um, and understand why it's there. So why doesn't Luke tell us more details about Paul? I'd like to know what he ate. I'd like to know what he wore. I'd like to know where he slept and where he stayed. Sometimes in, in the book of Acts, we are told about where, where he stayed with people. But in this section, we're not told. There's lots of details. I have in the past gone on mission trips to um, Ukraine. And I've written one year, I wrote a blog. And I wrote lots of details about what we were doing and what we, what, where we were staying, what was going on. And we don't get any of that here. But we're told that he's had a haircut synchro. Well, maybe because he'd spent so long in Corinth, he'd got really long hair like I've got at the moment. So I'd really like to get my hair cut at the moment because I'm in lockdown. Um, I'm not able to. So maybe that's something that maybe Priscilla said to him, you can't possibly go to Antioch looking like that. You need to sort yourself out. But I think that's probably not what's gone on. So quite a lot of commentators think that this might be a Nazarite vow. So what is a Nazarite vow? So a Nazarite vow is you can read about in Numbers 6. Um, 
and um, it's in the Old Testament, you know, in, in number six, a Nazarite or a Nazarite is somebody who voluntarily takes a vow as described at the beginning of number six in verses one to 21. And you can read that later if you want to. So a Nazarite comes from the, the Hebrew root Nazir, meaning consecrated or separated. And when somebody took this vow, they um, abstained for a particular period of time that they agreed to. They abstained from, from drinking wine and anything else that was made out of grapes. They refrained from cutting their hair for a period of time and they allowed their hair to grow. And they made very, very, um, they were very especially careful because Jewish people are careful to do this anyway, but they were especially careful not to come into contact with any corpses or graves, even if it was a family member. And then after a designated interval, um, the person would immerse themselves in a mikvah, which is a Jewish ritual bath, and then they made three offerings, a lamb as a burnt offering, a ewe as a sin offering, and a ram as a peace offering. And in addition to that, a basket of unleavened bread, grain offerings and drink offerings, which accompanied the peace offering that they'd made. And then at that point, they would shave their head in the outer court of the Jerusalem temple, usually, although they could do that if like somewhere else, if they were like Paul and they were away from Jerusalem. And then what they would do is place, take the hair that they had shaved off and then place that on the same fire as the peace offering. So this was usually done as an act of purification, but it could also be done as an act of thanksgiving. And a lot of commentators think that this might, the reason, if, if this is indeed, because we don't really entirely know, if this is the type of, um, um, of vow that, um, that Paul is thinking about, that, Paul, that, that Luke is telling us about, that this could have something to do with what went on in Corinth. So what went on in Corinth? As Andy mentioned last week, Corinth was quite a, 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 an ungodly and difficult place to be. It is likely that um, Paul was really worried about going there and, and, and it worried about what might happen to him, as, as Andy, Andy mentioned last week. Um, you know, Paul um, underwent all sorts of hardships for, for the gospel as he, as he went around. But he did okay when he went to Corinth. And if we think back to what happened um, earlier in chapter 18, God spoke to Paul in, in a vision. So in, in verse 9 of chapter 18, um, Jesus appears to Paul and says in a vision, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and said, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I'm with you. And no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. So because he'd had that assurance from Jesus that it was all going to be OK and that he was doing the right thing and that he was with him. He he had a really good time. It, it you know, it came to pass. He had a really good time in Corinth. So he'd heard that he'd been being delivered from physical harm. He wasn't whipped, he wasn't put in prison, and he wasn't beaten. So he would have been really thankful for that, because that goes against what he would have, you know, what he might have expected. So it's been an oasis of time for him 
and like a home from home. He's been able to go about and do unhindered the things that he's done. And also the, the fact that um, Gallio um, made the verdict that he did meant that Paul was able to do what he wanted to do. So perhaps he chooses to enter into the Nazarite vow as a thanksgiving for what God has done. And it's made me think about what God might be doing with us at the moment. As, as people have shared this morning, um, this, I think, is a time of, of, of waiting and of preparation for something. So we've got this time on, and we're all experiencing lockdown in different ways. Some people, you know, like me, I, I'm on my own, which is a challenge for me. Um, but also I'm very busy. My job has got extra busy at the time because of the nature of the job that I do in a university. Some people are on furlough. Some people are unemployed and have got, got difficulties. We're all in a different space and a different place at the moment. But whatever's happening, as Laura shared earlier, we need to find space to spend time with God and really find out what it is that he's saying to us. You know, praying and fasting and, and you know, the the... 12-hour prayer that we're doing on Saturday will be really important in finding out what he, what he has, to do, has to do. Because, you know, what this, this passage shows us is that God is sovereign over everything. So God knew that we were all going to be alive at this time and that we were all going to go through this time. Um, one of the things that this period of time has really made me feel and made me think about is my singleness. And most of the time, I'm very happy in my singleness. And I'm very happy that that's the way I am. But at the moment, the, the disadvantages of that have become very, very clear to me. Um, and I can find myself lamenting the fact that I um, was born at the time that I was born and that I'm part of the church at this time. And the reason I say that is it makes me think of my um, very good friends, um, Marion and Frank, who I um, got to know because they are friends of my stepdad in Macclesfield. And when I lived in Macclesfield, I went to the, a method, the, the um, remaining single uh, Methodist church that there is there. Um, and they were part of that church and they looked after me while I was there. And they were my friends and they were great. And God brought to mind the story that, that Frank told me about how he met Marion. So this is a, a quite a good story. This is a bit of left field, so I wasn't sure quite sure how this fitted in, but I'm going to tell this story anyway. So in the sort of early sort of early to mid thirties, Frank was living in Macclesfield, and so was Marion in a different part of Macclesfield. And a great big warehouse in Mac on the outskirts of Macclesfield caught fire, and there was a massive great fire. Um, and apparently, there wasn't a lot of entertainment in Macclesfield at the time. So lots of the young people who were kind of in their late teens went to go and sit on the hillside to watch this um, warehouse burn down because uh, it was something to do. And it's quite exciting. So Frank went and watched this and he noticed Marion sitting with her friends um, over in another part of the, uh, um, you know, over on some, uh, on a wall, some distance away. And he liked the look of her. And he liked, he thought, oh, I like her. She looks quite good. And he told me that he remembers thinking, oh, please let her be a Methodist, because that would make things a lot easier. So he didn't actually mind. Most people, most people in Macclesfield at that time were Christians and they did go to church. But 
he said it would be easier to square it with his mum and dad if she was a Methodist, because at that time there were seven Methodist churches in Macclesfield. So he remembers praying to God saying, oh, please let her be a Methodist and it will make things so much easier. And he got chatting to her and they ended up going out or courting. And this was just before, this was the late 30s, so just before the outbreak of war. So they decided they liked each other. Um, and then when war broke out, they decided that they would get engaged. And then Frank went off to war and he was gone for the whole of the war. So they were gone for five years and he remained faithful to Marion for that time. And they got married at the end of the war in 1945. And one of the reasons I think God has brought this to my mind is I've remained friends with them as a couple. Um, when Marion died about three years ago. Uh, and Frank was due to turn 100 in October. Um, and he now li he lived in a nursing home in um, Macclesfield. And very sadly, about three weeks ago, he passed away, which I'm really, really sad about. But as I was thinking about that story and thinking about that, I was thinking, Lord, why have you brought that into my mind? And why have you brought it into my mind now? And I thought that I've often thought about what a wonderful love story that is. And I've often felt sad that... The chances of that happening to me are relatively small. There are not as many Christians in, around and about, and it's much more difficult to meet people. But I remember God saying to me, if I wanted you to be born in, 19, you know, in, in the in 20s and grow up through the 1930s, I could have done that because I'm sovereign. I am God and you are not. So God knew I was going to be born in 1981. He knew I would be born in Leicester. He knew all of the things that have happened to me. He knows all of the things that have happened to all of us. He knows when we were going to, we, we would come to know him. He knows everything about us. So he can order our steps. So we can be secure that wherever we are and whatever we're doing, it's happening because he's allowed it to happen. And actually our part of, of our faith is to trust him and to take part in what he has for us. So this time now is a time of preparation and it's a time of, of getting ourselves ready for what is going to happen. So um, I'm just going to move on. I'm going to skip over that little bit because um, Andy spoke to us about Priscilla and Aquila last week um, and they eventually become, or that they are, a very important um, power couple of the New Testament. They they um, turn up in various books. Um, the um, the early church meets in their house, and they are important leaders, and they're particularly important leaders in Ephesus. And he ends up leaving them in Ephesus. So if we think back to that verse um, earlier, where it talks about, let me just go back to my passage. I seem to have lost my thoughts. Here we go. So it says that, um, that he came, they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews. And when he had asked them to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will turn to, return to you if, the, if God wills. And he sailed from Ephesus. So um, Paul had wanted to preach in Ephesus about two years earlier but he'd been prevented by the Holy Spirit. And you can read back at the early part of Acts 16, and particularly verse 6, if you want to look at that. So he'd asked if he, he, he could preach there, and God at that point said no. And 
Um, now the Holy Spirit is giving him liberty to preach in that important city. So we know that shows us that God has a special timing for everything in our lives. So if Paul had, could have discerned it further, what the Holy Spirit was saying to him in chapter 16 was, wait. He wasn't actually saying no. He was saying not yet. And sometimes God will say that. Sometimes we think God has said no to something, but actually he's saying not now. And actually it comes later. And he always knows what he's doing when he says it. And it makes me think of um, the book of James and in chapter four, when um, James talks about the will of God. So in, in verse 13, it says, now, listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city and spend a year there or, or carry on business and, and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord will, we will live there. We will live and do this or that. So we need to know that our times are in the Lord's hands. It's anything we do, it's because he permits it. And it's, it's in some ways comforting to know that he's got everything under control. And there are uh, several passages in scripture that back this up. So one of my favorite ones is Psalm 37, verse 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. So every, he knows absolutely everything about what, what is going on. And another one, Proverbs 16, verse 9. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So I thought that one of the things that... that God wanted me to focus on, apart from God's timing and being in his will, is how can we be like Paul? Because it's all very well Paul going, oh, yes, the, the Holy Spirit has told me that I, I must go here or I mustn't go here. And particularly if you're early in your Christian walk, you might be thinking, well, how do I do that? How do I know that I'm doing what God says that I should be doing? And I thought about six things that can help us to know what God's will is. And the first important thing is to surrender your attitude and your personal desires, a bit like I was just talking about when I was sharing about my discontentedness that I sometimes have with being single, that we've got to surrender our attitude and our personal de desires to God. To think through why you want to make a certain choice. Are your desires in alignment with God's desires? And the German evangelist George Muller said, nine tenths of the difficulties in knowing God's will are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever that may be. So that time of preparation and prayer and fasting that we can do to get ourselves positioned for what God wants us to do. When one is truly in this state, it is usually but a little way to know what the knowledge of his will is. So that's really important. It's also really important, secondly, point number two, that we meditate on God's word. I think I say this every time I preach, but knowing God's word is really, really important. So be getting into God's word every day, even if what is in that passage for today might not seem that relevant, God is using it and storing it up for later use. So the more familiar you become with his word, the more he can bring it to mind in times of trial. If you haven't read it first, you can't do that. So it's really important. So when you make a decision about what you should do, 
it should line up with or at least not contradict what God has already said in the Bible. There are no hidden answers in the Bible, but, there, but the Bible gives us guidelines and truths. It's an explanation of God, who God is, and it's, an, it's a story of his relationship to us and our relationship to him. So it, it can it be trusted to help us make decisions. Um, in other places, it, it says about itself that it's a plumb line. It's our straight arrow for making us understand what it is we should do. Um, and we need to spend focused time in prayer. So God tells us in Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So whatever it is you're, you're wondering about, that you're thinking, well, God does want me to do this or that, we need to spend time um, bringing it before God in prayer. I found it really useful um, while on lockdown to use an app, well, two apps by um, the 24-7 prayer movement with Pete Gregg. One of them is Lectio 365, which is a devotional thing, which is really, really good. But also they've produced an app called The Inner Room, which if you put the things that you're praying about into, this kind of Alexa or Google type voice reads your prayer request to you and while you're praying. But the other thing it does is it also says in that voice, and you've had about a minute to pray, it then says, and now listen to God. So it actually reminds you physically with you know the audible to and it then gives you 30 seconds to listen to what God's saying. And that's really helpful for me because I'm so busy telling God all my different prayer requests that I sometimes forget to listen. And actually just sitting in the quiet, and it has some nice background music that you can listen to, you can switch off if you want. Um, and I, you can then listen to what God is saying back to you. And then you can write down any sense of direction about that that you might get. And then that moves us on to point four, which is seeking other people's opinions. So find dedicated, mature Christians and ask them what you what they think about a choice or a decision that you've got to make. You might get conflicting opinions from different people, but they should that should give you another perspective to think about. You're still responsible for the decision that you make even if those seeking advice is wise. You still need to work through the other principles and don't let anybody else make the decision for you, but it's, it's good, particularly if you're a new Christian. It's also important to consider the circumstances. God can open and close opportunities and we mustn't be guided by our circumstances, but sometimes God uses the circumstances to point you in a certain direction. You also need to think through your decision logically. Um, God's spirit can direct your mind and reasoning. So sometimes what we think are our own thoughts have been influenced by the Holy Spirit. But again, we need to bring it to the word to check it out and see if that's true. But also it does also need to make sense and we can use our common sense. I remember um, I used to watch the programs. I don't say much now, but I used to watch the programs of Joyce Meyer. And I remember one story she told about when a woman pitched up on the, the doorstep of her ministry offices, knocked on the door and said, um, I've been praying and God says that I need to come and work for your ministry. Um, and um, Joyce talked to her for a bit and said, well, you know, did you see an advert for a job anywhere? And she said, well, no, I just thought that God said I needed to come and work for you. And she said, well, I haven't really got any jobs at the moment. Um, and maybe if the job advert comes up, you know, you could pray about it and, and do that. So we have to be careful that we don't sort of jump the gun and 
um, if we think that God is saying something, it has got to sort of line up with a bit of common sense in terms of how it, how it fits into the circumstances. If there's no job, there's no job. So it's important to think about that too. Um, so yeah, so I think that those are the, are the six principles that I found helpful in, in how to know God's will when making a decision, which I think is an important thing. So then we can be like Paul and know what, what God's will is for our lives. So looking at the, the last bit of the, of the passage, It says, um, when he had landed at Caesarea, he had gone up and greeted the church and he went down to Antioch. So we think or scholars think that when it says he'd gone up and greeted the church, people reading that would have understood that to mean the church, to mean the church at Jerusalem, because that was the main important church. And it says he'd gone up because you went up in altitude to get there. And it would make sense that Paul would go up to the church to complete his Nazarite vow, if that's indeed the type of vow that he'd done. And then having gone up to Jerusalem, he then goes down to Antioch um, um, geographically. And that is his home church. So we're probably pleased to see him return and be able to find out about all the work that he'd done over the previous three years. And then the next sort of verse 23 is really a bridging verse into Paul's third missionary journey. And after he'd spent some time there, that is at Antioch, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia um, in order, strengthening all the disciples. So we don't know exactly how much time he spent in Syria, um, but Paul uh, Luke writes the account to give him a sense of an immediate move on to his next journey. Um, and then he went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia. And if you think about it, that was the, the, the journey that he took when he was going um, through his first missionary journey. So what he's doing is going back and visiting the churches on his first missionary journey to see how they're doing. So we, we think it included congregations in Tarsus, Derbe, Lustra, Iconium, um, 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 Poseidon and Antioch. So we know that 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 is probably what he was doing. And he was strengthening all the disciples. So um, Andy was talking a lot um, last um, last week about um, how Paul was an evangelist. He was a fantastic evangelist. And he went around spreading the gospel and making new converts. But Paul was also interested in strengthening the disciples and Christians that were already there. So he had a passion for building people up and not merely making converts. That's why he writes all the letters that he does to the churches, Um, and it's important. And I think if Paul visited us at Freedom at the moment, which would be a bit difficult now because we're on lockdown, but he'd be asking questions like, how strong of a disciple are we? And what could he do to help us strengthen our our walk with Christ? And I think what God is also saying to us at the moment is it's really important in these times of lockdown that we think of ways of strengthening each other, that we keep meeting together on Zoom, that we actually think about how we can help each other in our walk with God. And it isn't enough just to make a strong beginning with Jesus. We need to keep growing and keep running the race as we go forwards. And I think that's all that God has for me to say today. So I just want to pray just to finish off. Um, as I've been through that. So 
Jesus, thank you for your word. And thank you for this word that you've, you've given me to bring today. And I ask that we would think about what your timing is for the things that are important to us. I'd ask that you'd help us to use this time of, of life being very different at the moment, to learn more about you, to spend more time with you, and to discern what it is that you have for us in the next chapter, as this feels like a time of waiting, Lord, at the moment. And I ask that, that you strengthen us as a church and grow us together, and that we'd be able to really know what it is that you have for us next, and that you'd build us up and make us ready for the harvest that I think is to come. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.